Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by first-time guest. We have Brian Fox on the show with me. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by first-time guest. We have Brian Fox. Brian, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks. Really appreciate you joining me. Brian and I have interacted, I'd say, on Twitter. We really met through Twitter. Correct. I forget... We have a mutual uh, punching bag. We like to uh, pick on. Uh, oh shit! Yes. Oh god! This go. this can go into so many fucking different directions. <laughs> I love it. I currently have three kids at Jefferson County Public Schools, and so I, you know, like to try yeah. my best to pay attention to what's going on. I'm not claiming, you know, to be real on the ball, but I'm pretty confident Chris Kolb is a giant pussy, and I'm not a fan. I would say it's worse than he's a pussy. I would say it's he's an entitled, privileged pussy. Okay. Being a pussy is not necessarily bad. Yes. And it should be your right to be a pussy. Good it's point. the fact that he knows he enjoys the protections of the structure of society that he has for his circle, meaning he will never have to face consequences for his decisions or for his choice of words. Mm. He's very insulated from society, much like everybody else in government. Mm. Man, okay. So, we saw you maybe, we somehow we interacted. I, I like to comment on Chris Kolb's, I can't believe he doesn't block me. <laughs> I don't think he blocks people. I think he mutes people. Okay. I think he's one of those people that he likes the attention. Mm. So, he'll just mute you. 
so you can keep talking, and that way you can boost his engagement rate. Okay. But he'll ignore you. A couple times he's highlighted what I said because I've pretty much, you know, I've gone off the handle on him a couple times, and uh, I will say those were not my finest moments, but at the same time, I don't regret anything I've said. Sure. But people like him, um, another fellow you might be familiar with, uh, Ja'Cory Arthur. Man. So he's one of those guys. I will say I My kids know him. I, like and they I like said, him. Like Full I, disclosure, yeah. my kids like him. I don't think Ja'Cory's nearly as bad as Kolb. In fact, I think is one of those people, I think there's hope for that guy. I think the problem I see with a guy like Ja'Cory Arthur is he willfully remains ignorant. I think he ignores opportunities to learn and to consider alternatives. I don't think he's so far down the rabbit hole that he can't be saved, but I do think that he chooses to remain ignorant, which is still pretty bad. Now, if someone's tuning into the Kelly Patrick Show today and they're not familiar with exactly what we're talking about, we live in Louisville, Kentucky. And Ja'Cory Arthur is a councilman, and Christopher Kolb is a school board member. Yes, of the Jefferson County Public School, uh, you know, the Board of Education. Uh, that's what he does. Correct. And... Uh, Basically, they have uh, made, more so Christopher Kolb has made more of a name for himself because he likes to get on the social media and say a lot. He just likes to talk trash, Mm -hmm. and he enjoys talking trash because he feels it emboldens his people, and he feels he's a voice for his type of people, which I can kind of appreciate that. I think the problem with that is... He's not an honest broker when it comes to his engagements, and he seldom ever has to engage with people in a way that he actually answers honest questions. Even when he does engage with other personalities, Mm -hmm. he completely dodges whatever they have to say and tries to redirect the conversation in a way that he wants it to go. So in that case, he's a punk, and I just don't have it. More or less, when I'm commenting, it's more or less for the viewers or other people. Yeah, okay. and I don't really give a shit about him. Now, politically, I think it's important to be transparent. I was raised a Republican by my father. Over the past few years, I've become, I would say, radicalized into being a libertarian, almost like an anarchist. How would you describe your backstory and your current situation politically, or do you like to do that? Exactly like you. Okay, I was guessing it's the same thing. Okay. (laughs) So I was raised a uh, big government Republican, although I wouldn't describe it as knowing it that way. Mm -hmm. That's just all I knew was just the Republican Party versus the Democrat Party. And being in the military in the 90s, um, I will say that I was growing up to believe in the idea of a very moralistic conservative point of view to believe that the government is there to do good and that the other team is bad and we should fight against them. Okay. And, um, it really, I had no idea about the merits of the other side's arguments because at the time that I was growing up, there wasn't the internet and I didn't exactly live around people who shared opposing views. That wasn't a normal thing. I mean, from where I grew up, it was pretty much everybody was a conservative, and people with different viewpoints were considered kind of anomalies, outcasts, things of that nature. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in the Midwest in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm. Uh, then moved to Florida, and I would say even then, that part of the area where I was at, it was definitely more open-minded. Okay. 
but it wasn't very progressive by any stretch. Mm, okay. I mean, it was one of those things to where you definitely saw a lot of alternative lifestyle type stuff, but it wasn't really thrown in your face. So it would still, there was a, the part of Florida I grew up where I was living at was in Clearwater. So it was still a relatively conservative area. So there wasn't a lot of people that were talking about decriminalization, um, reined in military spending, um, just, you know, people to freedom to choose of different lifestyle choices, things of that nature. So for the most part, everything I thought to believe in growing up, I thought, okay, well, it must be validated because everybody else, the majority, seems to agree the same way. Mm. So, of course, get online in the 2000s. Internet forums start becoming a big thing, start getting on there, and then all of a sudden people are talking about, you know, gay marriage and doing drugs and all kinds of crazy stuff that I thought, who in the hell are you people and where do you come from? Mm. To be honest, gay marriage never really bothered me. Um, it was one of those things where I thought, well, don't agree with the lifestyle, but I don't really feel like it's an issue. Um, to me, it was one of those things, let them do their thing and we'll do our thing. And so Which is a fair stance. Yeah. So it didn't, I mean, what it didn't more really could bother you expect? me. Yeah. Um, drugs, I was kind of, I wasn't very militant about it, but I just kind of thought, well. Didn't grow up smoking weed no, in high school. I was not into that at all. If anything, I knew more about alcoholism and people with issues with alcohol than I do with drugs. Okay. So I didn't have a problem with it. I thought, you know, when I hear about drugs, I think about people smoking dope and getting high is you know, doing crack, and of course, I think the worst case scenario. Sure, if, never if really, that's what you, never really knew anybody who did any of that. Never knew anyone who smoked weed until well, what? It, well, let's put it this way: in 2000, I was in the army. It was my last Christmas in the. Well, no, it wasn't my last Christmas, but second to last Christmas in the army. A friend of mine, we went up to his hometown in Michigan, and that was the first time I ever did dope. Mm. Had some uh, creeper. At, at what age? I was uh, 22, maybe okay. 23. Okay. Interesting. So, uh, actually, no, it's closer to 25, maybe. So, And you know what's funny is sometimes with even weed, there's the anticipation like, shit, I'll try some. Oftentimes, alcohol's also involved. So maybe you're drunk, and then you're like, ah, smoke some weed. And then you're like, holy shit. And, <laughs> and then you like throw up or something. You're like, whoa, 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 that weed is crazy. It wasn't quite like that. Okay, for me, happened, yeah. dude, for me, it was more of an out-of-body experience. It was kind of like the creeper stuff where it was like for about 15 minutes – Nothing was going on. Then all of a sudden, it was like I was locked into somebody else's body, and I wasn't sure what was going on. Like, I had no control over what was going on. And I was like, okay, this is really fucking weird. So Interesting. Got over that. Got the munchies. Whatever. Um, I can honestly say that it wasn't a great experience. Sure. But it wasn't something that made me feel like, holy crap, marijuana is evil. I mean, and I never really thought that. And honestly, I always knew from other people about how marijuana helped people through pain. Okay. So I was always aware of that. Needless to say, the internet came up, and uh, so we already had the war on terror, and I was kind of one of those big old, you know... Uh, neocons. Yes. Uh, fight them over there so we don't fight them over here. The neocon, uh, the the word neocon, the term ne neocon means what? Neoconservative. Means which, what? Which means for an interventionist. Got to fight them over there so we don't fight them over here. So I, really, I was a big believer in that. Uh, I would say that... I never really challenged the idea. I would say that Iraq, I was always suspicious a little bit about how we did it. I was kind of like, okay, let's either go in and take over or let's hit them and leave them. I didn't really 
buy into the whole occupation thing. Um, I kind of felt bad about that aspect. I kind of felt like that was not cool. But nevertheless, I felt like the mission to go in there and take them out was appropriate at that time. And you served overseas? No, I did not. I actually got out in 2002. I was on my way out when everything was ramping up. Gotcha. So, okay. Fortunately for me, actually, because had I re-enlisted at the time that I was supposed to, I would have gone to Germany, and I would have been the first ones to go over to Iraq. Mm. So that would not have worked out very well for my plans. At the time, though, you may have been like, well, this is my calling. I'm going to do it. I I'm serving my country. If I die, if I die, I die, that type of thing. I will say this. So funny you should say that. So I signed up in 96, uh, the Clinton years. Everything was peaceful. Um, I was going in for the college money. Um, I can honestly say that I like the Army. I thought it was going to be cool. I never really thought about war because during the 90s, there was nothing going on. Okay. we had uh, The only most recent memory was uh, Desert Storm and Somalia. And those were just kind of like in the rear view, well in the rear view mirror. Kosovo was kind of. I was going to say Kosovo was like Kosovo was kind of. Kosovo was uh, like 95 to 97. Okay, okay. And even then it was very limited in, in, our, in our involvement. Gotcha. Um, so for the most part, I was. I remember actually being at Fort Hood, Texas in uh, 97, 98, walking through the motor pool thinking, we're kind of overdue for a war. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm thinking about history, and about every five to ten years, something happens with the United States. We just get involved in something. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, man, it's like, you know, towards the end of the 90s, I'm like, should we bomb somebody or be fighting somebody or going something going on about now? It's like, you know, this long without any kind of an issue just seems a little bit odd. Well, of course, 9-11 happens. I remember uh, watching that on the, I had a little portable TV that I used for the field. And we, I remember uh, seeing uh, after uh, the second tower had already fallen and we could just see the smoke on the TV and we're just all, this is down in while I'm at Fort Knox. So long story short, everybody's talking about, well, we're going to war. And I'm thinking, no, we're not going to war because I had already been in for so many years. And I was like, I'm so used to us just not doing anything. So I don't think anything's going to happen, and of course, I couldn't be more wrong. Um, so yeah, I grew up in that kind of a mindset, then uh, got onto the internet forums, started talking to other people, and to be honest with you, I wasn't very mature, but I was very open-minded, and I was very curious. So I was listening to what a lot of other people had to say, and they were challenging me on a lot of things that I believed, and a lot of them were making very good points, very independent, libertarian-minded type points. Okay. Challenging on spending, on uh, the wars, on uh, how we um, do things, just things in general that just I honestly could not explain. So I really started leaning towards liberty in around 2005 to 2007. That's when I started realizing, okay, gay marriage, no big deal. People, you know, do drugs, cool. I'm, I'm cool with people doing that. Funny way that happened was I was talking to a guy about weed and he wanted to, you know, decriminalize it. I was like, well, if you're going to decriminalize that, well, why don't you decriminalize all drugs? Ha, huh, gotcha. Absolutely. I was kind of shocked. I was like, wow, okay, cool. That's consistent. Makes sense. Some people listening may listen because I'm guessing or I'm hoping that a bunch of random people listen to this episode, not just echo chamber type shit. <laughs> so some people will hear that and be like, what the fuck? Do so you think heroin and, and crack should be legal? What the fuck? Absolutely. And here's the reason why. First of all, I guarantee you we have more problems with obesity than we will ever have with crack or weed. Mm. 
McDonald's and Dairy Queen will have more to do with health issues in society than crack or weed. Okay. And that's just one angle because you could argue legalizing crack or heroin and that type of things would prevent accidental fentanyl overdoses or this or that, all sorts of different angles on this, in my opinion. And on top of that, it it would, I mean, there's so many fucking angles, but the the southern border would arguably be safer. I don't even know if that's debatable. 100%. So there's a lot of angles. We would put the cartels out of business. And then it would be trading. It would still exist. Drugs would still exist. Now, I will agree that there will be issues. There will absolutely be issues with people getting into all kinds of crazy narcotics. Granted, I'm not going to do two things on the moral perspective. It's not your business to tell somebody what not to do if it's not hurting you. Now, you can say it's hurting their family and their friends, but that's their choice. And their family and their friends have to make a choice how they're going to deal with that. No different than anything else of whether you're gambling or you know you got road rage or just i would say that what i call is a victimless crime a lot of conservatives come from a point of view well it's not just you you hurt it's everyone else around you i agree you do but ultimately the choice is yours first and foremost you know and to be honest with you a lot with uh conservative christian types let's consider the problem of sex within the church and pornography Jesus. and divorce. Jesus. Okay. You wrote, and, you know, how about, you know, gluttony? Do you want to talk about how many people visit the buffet after, you know, church is out? So when we talk about personal choices that affect everybody else, let's not pretend that that's limited to just drugs. So that being said, I heard about this guy talking about decriminalizing everything. And it made sense to me very quickly. I did not have to wrestle with it. I didn't have to rationalize it. It made sense. Um, I didn't quickly go down the rabbit hole, but I would say probably about five or six years later, Ron Paul from his uh, second campaign. Second, first being 88? uh, 2008. I will admit I was not a big fan of Ron Paul at first. I thought he was kind of a nut because I was still pretty much a neocon in 2008. Um, Neocon meaning traditional yeah, Republican. Yes, more of the big government Republican. So you were kind of starting to drink the Kuwait of libertarianism. Yes. But Ron Paul seemed a little nutty. Yes. Do you remember what seemed nutty about him? Um, I think it was his swagger, and that's something that I will say that, and this, and I mean this with the highest of respect, I was not prepared to hear what he had to say. Mm. I was still thinking, okay, well, we mean well, and you're talking trash and making us look like we're the bad people. Sure. He was talking shit about our country. Yes, Fuck you. Exactly. Like, it's always sunny. They do funny stuff about so the ultra-patriotic. Ultra it's like, is he talking shit about America? Fuck him. Which is ironic because when I went full ANCAP, which is anarcho-capitalist, anarchist, in uh, 2016, I started doing the exact same thing. And it's kind of funny. Is now I talk shit about cops and all my conservative friends are like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because my dad was a cop and I almost tried to be a cop at one point. Um so I did not like the swagger. I was like, okay, we're technically mostly on your team. We just disagree on a few things. So maybe have a little respect when you talk to us. Hindsight being 2020, Ron Paul's a national treasure. And, he, I, and you wouldn't change what he had said. Honestly, it's one of those things to where I do believe the message counts. And that actually is a big reason why it's a good segue into how I got into activism with what's called the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus, 
which is a caucus within the Libertarian Party, which promotes Ron Paul principles. Um, everybody who's, I would say most people who are familiar with the Libertarian Party are familiar with probably within the last four to six years of Gary Johnson, Joe Jorgensen, and what would effectively be the watered-down or even woke messaging of the LP that is basically not really what anybody who is liberty-minded on the conservative side or even on the liberal side has in mind. Because technically, when you think about liberty, what does it mean? It means leave people alone. The problem that I have with the woke libertarianism is there's a huge push to appeal to the left based on the idea that we need to be more inclusive. Well, I take issue with that. If you truly believe in the principle of liberty and leaving people alone, that's already accounted for. As long no, as we all have the same rights. Yes. Like, obviously, no, if slavery would, was going on or something like that, yeah. that would need to be addressed. I would say this. Nobody that I know of within the Mises Caucus has a problem with anybody who's trans, gay, or anything like that. It may exist. There may be Nobody some people, that I know of yeah, either. I would say this. Nobody that I know of wants to use the power of the state against them. They may not personally agree with them, but that's their, they're entitled, you know, yeah. the Libertarian Party is not about leaving your opinions at the door in any way, shape, or form. It just means you do not advocate for force against other people that you disagree with. Gotcha. Non-aggression principle. So that's really where that comes down to, and that's where a lot of people that are, I would guess, are the more pragmatic Libertarians, that's where they kind of miss the mark. We're not advocating that we use the power of the state against people we disagree with. We're just simply saying, let's enjoy the right to speak out, but ultimately have the true limited government libertarian ideas and promote that instead of promoting a culture. Sort of a cultural aspect, which is what the Libertarian Party has been doing for the last several years. So the Mises Caucus is founded by people that I am personally very familiar with. I know where they're coming from. Um, I will even go far, so far as to say, so we have the National Convention coming up next month. If we take over the way that we plan to take over, people are going to notice a huge difference within weeks. The messaging, the direction, the media, it's going to be a whole different ballgame. And we're not going to be appealing to alt-right people. We're not going to be appealing to the woke left people. We're going to be appealing to anybody who has the idea of live and let live, get the government out of our lives. Mm. Interesting. You mentioned alt-right. I can take this into so many different directions. But since I've become flying the flag of libertarianism, I have tried to listen and you know at least be aware of all the angles to it. Some people say it's a pipeline to the alt-right. So I started searching, and I found Augustus Invictus, this guy from Florida. I don't know if you heard that. I interviewed a guy who was a libertarian in Florida. Then he got a little crazy and uh, ended up running for president. But he was a key, scheduled to be a keynote speaker in Charlottesville for the Unite the Right rally, and he is like a white nationalist, previously a libertarian, but now he's more of like a Trump supporter, he says. But I interviewed him a few weeks ago, and I was like, it says on your Wikipedia page that you want to repeal some of the amendments that make it only so white males can vote or own property. And he was like, yep. Okay, so why did you mention 
that you don't want, that the Mises Caucus does not want to appeal to the alt-right. So the reason why is because that's a kind of a big argument between the establishment LP and our caucus. They think that we attract too many conservative alt-right type people, which we do by virtue of, first of all, a lot of that came from a lot of Dave Smith, who on his podcast was covering a lot of the uh, Trump Russia. And he was in some ways, I don't want to say defending Trump, but who's calling out the bullshit sort of investigation say, hey, look, Donald Trump is a lot of things. He's an egomaniac. He's an asshole. He's a liar. He's a con man. But he's not a Russian agent. This is the deep state working up against a guy who is not buying in to their agenda. So how did that attract the alt-right? The way that supposedly attracted alt-right is because he's basically not going after Trump. Okay, but Matt... Uh, to be uh, Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore, all these leftists also. No, say, they're not leftists. Those are also alt right. Okay, <laughs> according to some, you're being sarcastic. So I'll, I'll let me give you a little bit. Of, they all say that the Russia gate, the Russia collusion, is a bunch of horseshit. Um, yes. Yeah, so basically, by defending Trump in one respect, that somehow makes you alt right. I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory on the alt right. The alt right is not who people claim the alt right to be. The alt-right came about from about 2014, 2015, and then exploded in 2016 when Trump got elected. Alt-right was originally a description of conservatives who were very militant in a way that like people like Mitch McConnell and the Lindergram were not. They were very principled people who basically said, enough of this shit, we want to fight. That's what the alt-right originally was. It was Breitbart-style conservatives who no longer wanted to take a backseat to the establishment Republicans. That's all the alt-right was. It was not a bunch of neo-Nazi wannabes. So when people say the alt-right now, they are alluding to white supremacists and people who hate anybody that's not like them. That's absolute horseshit. I was there when it started. I knew the people that were involved. Mm. I even considered myself, to some degree, very sympathetic to the alt-right back then because all it was is conservatives who wanted to fight back against the left. That's all it was. Now, politically speaking, I don't agree with them. I don't want to use the government against anyone else. Culturally speaking, yeah, we agree on a lot of things, but that's true of a lot of people I know. Oh, but by the way, I've already established that I really don't like the police and I'm for decriminalization. So that already puts me at odds with a lot of conservatives that I know. So I'm not alt-right. So I know what that is all about. And I would say that uh, for me, it's just another political construct that over the years has been twisted and has not, no one's ever really properly explained it. And I would say that it's one of those things to where it doesn't really bother me personally one way or another as far as I'm concerned. Conservatives have done so much to dig their own grave politically that it's kind of like, you know, that's the la- the least of your issues. Um, the fact that conservatives saw Trump for four years fail miserably. Oh, my God. That's not, what and made and me and have not, And they have not owned up to it. It's like, look, I get that you wanted to give Trump the benefit of the doubt. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And for four years, I kept giving him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I was hoping at least as a big final FU to the establishment at the very end on his way out, he was going to pardon Julian Assange and just do something like Julian Assange and uh, Snowden and be like, okay, let's burn this place down. Let's get the party started. He went out like a bitch. So long story short, 
I feel like when it comes to conservatives, I sympathize with them on culture issues and I sympathize with them on political concerns. However, unlike them, I at least kept an open mind and remained objective. And I saw through the shit of what I was, you know, it's like, okay, look, pretty much the entire Republican Party is beyond salvaging. There's like maybe a handful of people within the Republican Party that are worth a shit. And Trump definitely was not one of them. But the fact that people can't see that, I mean, like, the guy literally advocated for gun control. And people were still like, oh, well, I don't really care about bum stocks. And, oh, when it comes to red flag laws, well, I don't want dangerous people to have guns either. And I'm like, you guys are so freaking, you guys are What do you stand for? Are you principled at all? He criticized Biden for the stimulus checks not being big enough. So, I mean, if you're an actual Trump supporter, I'm curious if you're listening— what in the fuck? Other than him not being woke, right? <laughs> He's not woke. No. And that's good. I do like that. To, admittedly, it's funny. I enjoy it. Are you talking wo- about Biden? No, I'm uh, tr- uh, 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 tr- Trump. Trump, yeah. yes. I th- Trump's not woke. I would say Trump's that, not woke, and that's a good thing to I th- me. I, I'd say the worst, but what's worse about him is he lacks the intellectual curiosity or even the integrity to pursue what is right against the people that are working against him. Um, he, one of his biggest claims or what he campaigned on was, I'm going to hire all the best people and get shit done. Oh my God. That was one of his biggest failures. Trump hired all the worst people. He actually hired swamp creatures, Reince Priebus of all people, the Republican, you know, the guy that's running the Republican national party, um, he brought in a lot of these people. I mean, Mattis was a freaking the chief war hawk. I mean, like as a general, he's a good general, but he's aligned with the neocons. So his hiring of people would just from day one, just told me, Oh God, this guy. So Trump loves to be flattered. He loves people to basically blow sunshine up his ass and tell him you're awesome so that he will do nice things for them. Cause that's what he likes. He turned out to be just basically a guy that is easily tricked through flattery. That's all he is. He's just, he's all about vanity. Um, He did good on the economy in terms of deregulating. I give him credit for that. The deregulation aspect was absolutely awesome. Like what's an example of that? Where basically, so deregulations are like basically uh, taxes or codes within business, which stipulate how you can run your business like, what you have to do and how you have to do it and what fees you have to pay to be able to, it's the cost of doing business. The, the more regulations you have, the higher and the more expensive, the more expensive and the more complicated your cost of doing business becomes. So he rolled back a lot of regulations and made it easier for businesses to, you know, to prosper, which is absolutely good. However, as we've seen, it's very easy to roll that all back again and go back to where we were. Hence what we've seen with COVID. Um, there was really no lasting gains from the Trump administration. Um, like I said, I was kind of... He didn't start a new war. That's a very low bar. (laughs) Okay, technically we did have more troops overseas when he left office than we did when he was it, when he started. So, I mean, didn't technically start a new war. And honestly, he should have, if he had actually kept his word and left Afghanistan, he wouldn't have any reason to complain about the way that leaving Afghanistan got botched. So I don't really give him any credit for anything. The only thing I will really truly give him any credit for was 
you know, again, the deregulation, I think he did pretty good on that. And I think he demonstrated that deregulating is a good way for a prosperous economy, but there's so much more to it. The spending. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that really got me. I was trying to pay attention to what was going on. And I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I voted for Trump and he was going to drain the swamp and it was awesome. And he just roasted Jeb Bush and all this great stuff. And I was like, this is great. I was sold on Trump. I voted for him. And I was like, everybody thinks he's going to lose. And then he won. I was like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome. And then. Yeah, he's definitely, uh, he's a good, he's good at marketing. He's good at reading the room and saying what people want to hear. I give him credit for that. So that's where the Mises Caucus comes in. We understand the messaging. We understand principles. We understand what people are looking for. And to more to more adequately um, address your alt-right pipeline, here's the funny thing about that. Yes, we appeal to some conservatives because conservatives and libertarians share a lot of first principles of limited government and more personal freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, we do not in any way, shape, or form advocate for a lot of the uh, bullshit that uh, the more hardcore right-wing types want, which is more big government defense spending, things of that nature, you know, continue to prosecute the drug war, things of that nature. We're totally against all that stuff. Um The problem is the LP, while they're supposed to be standing for limited government, they're appealing to the woke crowd. They're appealing to the moderate center-right types. So it's like there's a lot of people who – I I have lost count of how many people I have heard or met that have said, I consider myself a small L libertarian. I am liberty-leaning, stuff like things that I used to say. But the Libertarian Party, the messaging was not – reflecting that it was kind of like this watered down sort of republican kind of sympathetic to the left and it's like what is this bullshit was gary johnson that gary johnson was just what was gary johnson gary johnson was just basically the candidate in name only he was republican he was basic he was not even i mean gary johnson of 2012 and gary johnson of 2016 were two very different people uh, Bill Weld was the uh, featured candidate. He was the uh, LP vice president nominee. And I don't have any good things to say about that guy. I mean, he was talking about his admiration of Hillary Clinton, for fuck's sake. That's not good. So, and he bragged about cronyism. So it's just like, there's nothing redeeming of any. The only thing he had was charisma. Okay, well, great. A lot of people had charisma. That's not really exactly a huge feature. So the Libertarian Party is not winning the hearts and minds of people who think liberty. So in 2016, you have the perfect storm of the two worst candidates you can possibly ever think of, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. That what a shit show. Hillary, in hindsight, yeah, Jesus. Hillary, Hillary Clinton, who we're pretty sure eats babies for <laughs> breakfast, and Donald Trump, who doesn't know his ass from his hole in, hole in the ground. So we're thinking, well, here's a perfect opportunity for the LP to swoop in and say, we got you, folks. Here you go. Here's somebody with some principles and integrity. And instead, they give us a couple washed-up Republicans. That's where the Mises Caucus is born from. Is like, we're tired of this shit. Because basically, under the former party chairman, who I will not mention his name and give him even the least bit of uh, limelight, 
he's always been appealing to these establishment types. That's basically what the LP is. They're appealing to the establishment. They're not really principled in any measure. He doesn't care who the candidate is. He says as long as they're flying the L flag, he would vote for Hitler. And that can be found on his uh, podcast discussion with Dave Smith. He said he would vote for Hitler yes. if he ran as the libertarian he candidate. He said because he was trying to emphasize it's more important about the votes than about the candidate. Well, that's true from the purely technical political point of view. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with the movement as far as how do you win the hearts and minds. And Gary Johnson did technically get the most votes ever. Which is great. But what did it do for him afterwards? Not a goddamn thing. Okay. Um, so it sounds like, okay, who was the first libertarian you voted for? I assume you voted for libertarians. Uh, libertarian. Honestly, who am I trying to think of? Um, yeah, I would have the men Jorgensen. And honestly, I, oh, did, okay. and I did Jorgensen kind of in a like a... Reluctant. I was like, don't want to write in Rand Paul. So <laughs> me, me, me too. Me too. I, Jorgensen for me was also the first yeah. time I voted libertarian. And honestly, I did not do it enthusiastically. Do you regret that vote? Don't regret it. I would say that um, it was just more motivation for the Mises caucus to do our thing, to get, you know, momentum and to put our people out there. Um, and let me also make something else clear. The Mises caucus was not formed under the assumption that the LP is going to win a presidential election anytime soon. That's not the assumption. The assumption is to grow the movement, to use the platform as a as a way to get the message out there to win hearts and minds. You know, if we can get five to 10% of the American people hungry for curious about the Liberty movement, that's a win. And then at that point, the parties have to take us seriously and the LP becomes a force to be reckoned with. Doesn't mean we're going to win, but it becomes a game changer. That's the whole purpose of the Mises Caucus is to get people to realize there's more choices than the woke left or the watered down conservative types. And that's really all the Republican Party is. I mean, to be quite honest, I mean, you've got Thomas Massey, you've got Rand Paul, you've got Mike Lee. And you got a couple others maybe that are pretty good on some issues and maybe they suck on others. But for the most part, there's not very many people within the GOP that are really worth a shit. So, and I'm one of those people that I understand the political perspective of getting votes and getting power to change things. I dig that. But also, as we've seen through COVID, local power is more important than national power. Mm. Um, Governorships, um, school boards, that's where it counts. You know, municipalities, that's where it counts. However, to get people into the party to take us seriously, you have to show them that you are worth being considered. Right now, again, most people's opinion of the Libertarian Party is your message is great, but your party and your people suck. We're going to try to turn that around. I love it. To tie this back around, okay, so what we started with was talking about how our common foe would be Chris Cole. And you differentiated. You said Ja'Cory Arthur maybe in some ways isn't quite as bad as Chris Kolb. Okay, so what I want to pin on, I want to focus in on here is, is there an example, or can you think of someone that you know, you don't even have to mention who they are maybe, who holds very different views than you? Maybe a progressive, you know, big government, uh, maybe not even big government. In their mind, they're a socialist and, Mm -hmm. you know, that type of thing that you actually do respect? Oh, several people. Um, I would say that um, I have a lot of conservative friends who I feel 
are on the money when it comes to their principles and their ideology, but more strikingly in contrast, um, I've actually met quite a few really good, decent progressives over the years personally. Nobody that I would be able to really mention by name that anybody would be aware of. People that I used to work with. Um, here's the funny thing about progressives. One thing that I've noticed, they're not very good on what they think they know. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Um, so I've noticed that when you talk to a progressive on the internet, it's a lot different than when you talk to them online, talk to them in person online. They're really good at dodging questions and they're really good at making up bullshit in person. I've never lost a discussion with a progressive. Mm. In fact, I've won people over towards my point of view as opposed to them, you know, getting all huffy puffy and whatnot, because two things, one you get rid of the public sort of assumption of I've got a, you know, kind of posture like I know everything and that you're stupid. Well, you actually can have a nuanced discussion in less than 10 minutes and cover a lot more material and ask a lot more questions as opposed to online where you can spend hours or even days and barely move the, move the uh, discussion along just a little bit. Um, I think that progressives tend to be collectivists in the sense that that's even how they think. They don't think for themselves. Critical thinking is not a feature among progressives, especially when you talk to them about specific issues like relating to gun control, um, maybe relating to spending and war. When you pin them down on these issues and drill down on the driving factors, they don't really know what to think. Hmm. They're all into the platitudes. And I mean, right-wingers are really the same way, to be honest with you. Okay. So I would say that it's really less about whether or not they're principled or respectable. I mean, I think most people, for the most part, I don't, I've always had a saying, I don't care how bad shit crazy somebody's views are, if they're honest and if they're sincere, we're going to get along just fine. If anything, I relish those exchanges with people with batshit crazy ideas. It's the people that are closed-minded and dishonest that I have a problem with. And honestly, that's an issue with conservatives too. Um, when I raise the issue of the drug war, uh, police, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear how the fact that, yeah, you're kind of on the wrong side on a lot of this shit, especially mm. the war on terror. I trained jujitsu and I trained with a lot of cops. And, you know, I think it's good to be friendly with everyone, try to spread some good sure. messaging and maybe not even to be combative and focus on things you agree on. And I like to promote a, an organization called Blue Jitsu that promotes cops training jujitsu, which in theory maybe will make them less violent, less likely to pull a weapon, that type of thing. Um, but if we need to talk about jujitsu one of these days in the context of, so I have a little bit of a wrestling background. Oh, nice. Okay. And uh, my son, my kids used to go to a Gracie jiu-jitsu off of uh, Chamberlain Lane. Gotcha. Yep. And uh, I've always, I mean, he's not a big guy and I've always kind of thought to myself, make me a believer. Let's go, let's get on the mat and let's see what you can do within about two minutes. Let's see who of can like a roll. Yeah. We can I do just, it. I and just, I may not submit you in two minutes. I, I don't know, know. I know. But I, we can try. I just want to see like, okay, this whole, I, well, this guy that, you know, he's been doing like jujitsu for like 30 years. Alan Manganiello. Yeah. Man, Mango. Yes. And uh, it's like, and I've, 
you know, he's one of those guys that he's kind of, a, I can tell he's got a very networking kind of a personality. It's hard to have a conversation with him because he's always go, 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 go. He's been on the podcast. Yes. And I would love to talk to him, but I always wanted to kind of like, okay, I want to wrestle you for just like a couple minutes. <laughs> it, would be, it would not be very hard to set that up. That's the whole premise of jujitsu. It's like, oh, someone wants to try it out. Let's fucking see how it goes. And that doesn't mean to come across right. like a douchebag. Right. I but totally like, get it. Yeah. Because I, I, there has been plenty of wrestlers that I, and I've trained jujitsu a lot over the past like six years and it's like someone comes in and is athletic and strong and big and a wrestler it's so not like i'm just gonna right. kick the shit out of them so let's take it back to the cops so one thing i want to qualify my statement with is i don't hate cops i hate the institution of state police mm. i believe the idea of people signing up to protect and serve the community is absolutely noble and respectable i think the problem is when you consider what you're being asked to do when you consider the various laws that you're being required to enforce, especially COVID, I only know of a few officers, one that is prolific, that actually had the awareness that they, to think to himself, this is fucked up. I don't want any part of it. His name is Greg Anderson. He's been on several different podcasts. He's a guy out of the Northwest region who basically resigned from being a police officer after he did a video of himself calling out the, un, the ethics of enforcing the lockdowns and forcing to arrest people simply for going to parks when their parks were closed down. So, and that goes to, and that doesn't, that's not just the lockdowns. That's like just the precipice. That's like, okay, if you can see it there, can you see it in other places? Sure. That's a, a, what, at what point do you realize if your moral conflict with the law and how do you continue to enforce these stupid unjust laws? Now I realize that's a journey for everybody, but to not even have that awareness and to just be willing to consider that, that tells me you're being a robot or you're choosing a paycheck or your morality. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't expect us to have the same conclusions, but if you're not even willing to consider that, I don't know if I can really respect. You. I hate to jump to the Nazi comparison. I know that's the, like the just, most just doing my, just following orders. What, what that's, yes. what does that mean? It basically means is you're not going to think about it and consider what you're doing. You're just going to do what you're told because you want to get your paycheck and you want to be in good with, you know, your bosses and the people around you. People, good intentioned people that I know when I have these types of conversations with them at all, they will look me in the eyes and say, and they think that it holds any fucking weight with me whatsoever. And they'll say, it's still illegal. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Something being illegal? Is supposed to hold weight with me about anything? I do not give a fuck if there's a law saying anything. So the it, it, the morality and the legality are oftentimes unrelated. So a lot of it, and let's just go back to how I felt about Ron Paul talking shit about America, and he wasn't really talking shit about America. What in he hindsight, he wasn't. You felt like he was at right. the time. Right. It's all in how you approach people. And I would say this: I've got a good buddy of mine that is a former cop. Now he's a defense. He's a he's an attorney for a defense insurance. And uh, we chat about this all the time. It's a very sore subject for him. And um, You would describe it as a sore subject or he would not? He would. He would also. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, and I would say that, you know, it's one of those things to where it's kind of like arguing faith with somebody. It's not something you want to do online. And even in person, it can be very contentious. But I would say that it just goes to show how a lot of people, especially on the right, conservatives are notorious for calling the left a bunch of snowflakes. Okay, great. So let's talk about the police. Let's talk about the war. Let's talk about the military. You call the left snowflakes. Well, what about you? 
Mm. Are you willing to have that nuanced, open-minded, critical thinking conversation, or does that only apply to people you disagree with? <laughs> no, that, that's perfectly <laughs> applicable because you say, okay, all right, you support us spreading democracy all across the world. Why did we stay in Afghanistan so long? Because of drugs and money. And, uh... No, but, but what would their answer would be? Is there, you know, it, it becomes a situation where like, well, you just don't understand. And I'm like, okay, well, I've got, I've got time. Right? I don't understand. I'm not dumb. Are you saying yeah. I'm, you're not saying I'm dumb. Let's, let's talk about it. And again, the context and the situation is going to make a big difference. If you're, um, it's hard to have a conversation with somebody if it's not a scenario to where you both can really give it the due time and attention to really think things through in a diplomatic matter because a lot of people you're talking about their very fundamental moral code and their identity for a lot of people i guarantee so you know manganello right so i guarantee you if you were to start talking to him about the merits or the lack thereof of police during the lockdowns he'd probably have a real problem with that however doesn't mean he's a bad guy doesn't mean he's a bad guy at all but i will say this I guarantee he'd be very reluctant to have that conversation. Oh, 100%. If that's your livelihood and you get to see the ugly side that's of it. What, that's what I'm talking about. So he gets to see the actual that, ugly so, side. I'm so not saying where, that so, there's no so, ugly side from his perspective. So that's perspective. where a lot of cops come at. It's like, you don't know what we've been through. You, don't, you haven't seen what we've seen. That's where I call the bullshit. I grew up around cops. My father was a cop. My brother was in the Explorer program. I spent most of my growing up around cops. <laughs> I haven't personally gone in on all the domestic service calls or all the, you know, pulling the people over at 3 a.m. on the side of the highway, but I get it. Here's the problem. There's a lot of different questions and angles to take on a lot of these different things. And if you're not prepared, if you're not capable of answering those questions, then what does that say about you and how well you understand your job or how well you really have come to terms with what you're doing? If you can't really take those questions head on confidently then that just tells me you don't know what you're talking about and you're not sure or you're very insecure you don't want to i get it if you if that's how you pay your bills you've got a family you've got a livelihood just be honest about that and honestly my buddy to his credit he is actually starting to come around a little bit and he's an active duty cop no he's no longer active duty He's still like he's still one of those kinds of people that feels like that every time a cop walks by, you should pretty much either get on your knees or offer to give him a hand job. But <laughs> I hope he listens to this. <laughs> but he actually has come around to believing that a lot of the good cops are leaving the job, and most of the ones that are on now are most of the pieces of shit. Which God, that's even worse, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, point is, I'm not here to talk trash about cops per se. I'm here to say that when it comes to right wingers, conservative types. They've got their issues that they're not very open-minded or able to think critically about at all. If you were to talk to Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro about the merits of law enforcement and the drug war, that would make their heads pop off. They're not prepared for it. I became a libertarian because I had an open mind and I was willing to consider these things. Granted, it took me several years, but there was a reason why I went from being a big government Republican neocon in the early 2000s to becoming an anarchist by 2016. Took me a long fucking time, but I eventually got there. Mm-hmm. So looking back on my transition from being more of a Republican to, I guess in hindsight, not really exactly knowing what I didn't have much conviction. 
as much so about my political views until Corona. And I'm like, what in the fuck type deal? Um, the different obstacles, which you are also describing, are, are very fascinating to hear. Because my goal with the podcast is, of course, to interview martial artists and all that fun stuff. But to get people to listen and maybe open their eyes to, to being um, what I believe is promoting and supporting what's actually good for our country good for my kids and my grandkids one day. And the key to a lot of this is understanding that nothing's going to be solved very quickly. There's going to be some people who listen to your podcast who are going to hear what I say. They're pounding their fists. They're cussing at me. Believe me, if you get a chance to talk to me in person, keep an open mind, I guarantee you within about 10 to 15 minutes, we're going to find some common ground. I've talked to some batshit crazy uh, left-wing types about healthcare, about guns, some of their pet peeves. And I'll, I'm, going to get, I'm going to give them credit. A lot of them due to their presumption of how dear, near and dear it is to their heart. They're willing to talk about it. And so it's a lot easier to make headway with them because in a lot of ways, I would say that they're kind of more curious in some mm. ways. I notice that with a lot of conservative types, they're not nearly as open-minded and curious as the left wing for some strange reason. Mm. I don't know why that is. That doesn't mean you believe it's it's a, a better candidate to convert to being a libertarian from the left versus the right, does it? Um, I think what it Because that would be counter what I've found. I think what I'm going to say is one-to-one in person, it's easier for me to discuss and make headway with them. Messaging-wise, it's a lot easier to appeal to right... It's easier to appeal to a right-winger on messaging because the first principles still apply. There's just a couple areas in which there's going to be a lot of stubbornness. Okay. So... Well, great stuff. I don't see why we can't continue to, you know, I don't have a, um, a partner for doing the, the occasional Liberty touch-in type episodes for the most that. part. Maybe we can do that. You know, I, I think it's a good thing to, to you know, talk about the, the Liberty-centric. And I do like UFC, so if you ever you want to talk about, you know, the UFC or the fitness stuff, I can definitely get down with that too, so. I love it. Yeah, it's a, a good way to be. I teach kids jujitsu, and I, I, of course, train a couple days a week, and um, so I'm a, a big fan of that. doesn't mean that it, that's um, a prerequisite for any ty- these types. The cool thing is the Kelly Patrick show, I can do whatever the fuck I want, yeah. you know, so it's like um, some people locally who follow me for the MMA content and don't like my political views <laughs> have to be like... What the fuck? Like, just skip 75% of these episodes, and that's okay. It's okay. I get it. It's, if you're going to make a, a decision to mix the two, that's going to happen. Well, it just depends on why they're doing it. Do they not like politics? Which I understand there's a lot of people who don't like politics, but what's funny is most people, when you talk to them, when the subject of politics comes up, oh, they all suck. Oh, they all should be out of there. Cool. Why do you think that? And if because that's what a, you think, then you're an anarchist or you're some, well, some version of a small I would say government. This. Everybody's got a passion when it comes to their opinion about the people ruling over them. But if you want to take the next step and go down that rabbit hole of being involved and being part of the solution. It's funny. It's sometimes it's just a lot easier to bitch about it than to be a part of the solution. It's easier to say, fuck all of them. They all suck. Okay, great. Cool. Anybody can think that. Mm-hmm. But at least we know you do have an opinion, but how far are you going to go with that and why or why not? I love it. Uh, before we wrap things up, your Twitter account. I am Bourbon Snob. Bourbon Snob. Two different, two words, not all sequential. 
at bfoxky, army vet turned anarchist who loves God, guns, barbells, bourbon, and free markets, Mises caucus member, donor and advocate, and you say legalize freedom <laughs> with Ron, Ron Paul. Yes. I'm actually, for the first time, going to go to a Rand Paul event tomorrow. Out in Oldham, I think Rand Paul's I think Rand Paul's a lot better than libertarians give him credit for, but I will admit my biggest pet peeve is the way he's become too friendly with the political establishment. I understand why he's doing that. Yeah. He's playing the game to make. Progress. I don't know that you have an option if you get to Senate, but I hate it. But I hate it. But, but he, he owned Fauci way more than anyone else. He has done so much to speak out on issues from a liberty perspective that I will always get. I will always forgive his friendliness with the party for the sake of giving the message. So if that's what it takes, then so be it. But it's just like rocking hard. It's like on one hand, I love him to death when he's speaking that Liberty message. But on the other hand, it's like God, when he endorsed Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Oh, God, it almost popped off. <laughs> Man. So. Well, what I, I found comforting is to hear that the people from the Libertarian Party of Kentucky, I've asked repeatedly, does Rand Paul seem supportive of you guys? And they're always like, yeah, oh yeah, he helped us on this and this. So that's cool, at least a little bit. Yeah, you know, so, I, I don't and know. I know, and, I know, and I know the people at the LPKY. I'm involved with that too, as well. Are you okay? Yeah. So very cool. Good talking to you, sir. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, we'll have another episode of the Kelly Patrick Show out soon. Mm-hmm.